This is the Edinburgh Reporter podcast, and today we've invited Council Leader, Councillor Adam McVeigh, to join us to uh, talk to us, Adam, at the end of what's been a pretty busy week. Um, here we are on uh, the 30th of October. Edinburgh is now in level three of the COVID-19 restrictions, and uh, I think you've probably had a week of talking to lots of people, have you? Yeah, exactly that. Um, we've been speaking to the government, obviously, about our tier status. been speaking to a lot of businesses and business reps um, this week to try and make sure that the council was put the right support in place um, right across the board, really, to try and help those businesses through what everyone accepts is going to be a, a very difficult um, few weeks ahead. The, the trouble is, though, you're never going to please everybody all of the time, and we all know that. But there are lots of people who yesterday, when this announcement came out, immediately said, well, that's it, the SNP Labour Coalition and the Council haven't spoken up for us, and we they have not tried to get uh, the government to put us into Tier 2, which would have been an improvement on where we were and would have been better for business. Absolutely. I mean, the clear rationale that um, that we were given by the public health officials was around the uncertainty of Edinburgh's position right now. There's no getting away from the fact, and this is down to the hard work of businesses right across our city and residents right across our city, that Edinburgh's numbers are improving. Our cases are going down. and We're now at less than 100 cases per 100,000, which is really positive, and that trend is still a downward trend. But just two weeks ago, that wasn't the case. We were already above 100. We were not seeing the positive trend that we are now. So public health officials were keen to make sure that that trend was solidified before we move into a lesser restrictive tier. Now, I did not challenge that public health advice. I don't think it would have been appropriate to do so. I don't think it's our job as politicians to subject the citizens of our city, the residents of our city, to any additional unnecessary uh, risk, nor do I think it's going to be helpful to continually ping-pong between tiers. This has to be a gradual process where we get increasing control of the, the virus and the spread and continually be able to progress towards uh, less and less uh, restrictions to get closer to, to normal life. That's what I very much hope for. Now, I asked for a whole series of uh, assurances from the government around business support and that continuation around individual help uh, for the council to make sure that council services that we're tr still trying to ramp up uh, are progressed um, and continually um, made progress on. So those facilities that are in people's communities that they rely on are continuing to be opened. Um, and obviously I wanted reassurance around the review because I am just as uh, anxious and, and keen as anybody else in the city to see our tier um, status change and restrictions uh, loosened even, even further. It's positive that more businesses are able to open, but they have to be able to open longer and they have to be able to sell everything that they have to sell to, to create that vibrancy um, of our hospitality sector and crucially help those businesses survive. It's very difficult to analyse anything without the, the rationale behind it. And I get that you are privy to that rationale. But for example, yesterday, the cases per 100,000, we were at level two. The test positivity, certainly we were at level three. 
and for the others, the cases per 100,000 forecast, the hospital forecast, and the ICU forecast, we were at level zero, and yet still we went into level three. Um, the people who've been most vocal about this are opposition politicians in the Labour and Conservative parties. Um, so I've got two questions for you. Are you, you. You've already said that you're happy with that rationale, but I'd like you to perhaps confirm that again. And also, what role do uh, opposition politicians in the council, for example, have and how are they getting the information? So to say the last part first, um, I have been keeping opposition politicians updated, um, opposition leaders updated on the discussions that are taking place with the government and three other uh, and three other agencies. Um, obviously, some of this is pertinent to uh, the emergency causal meeting that happened on Monday, for example, where, where things um, had come out. So, so we are very much trying to keep those communication channels open, and I've made a pledge to opposition um, parties and leaders I'll continue to share as much information as I possibly can, as quickly as I possibly can, uh, throughout that. I, I would not say I'm happy with Edinburgh's tier status. I don't think anyone would be. Nobody, I don't think, will be satisfied um, until our economy is able to open up fully again, until all those residential uh, amenities that make Edinburgh such an amazing place to live are opened up again and that we can you know, take our kids swimming, we can go to every library uh, across our city, our community centres open again. All those services that really bind us together as a community need to be reopened before any of us are happy or satisfied. But the situation we find ourselves in now is, do we, as politicians, challenge the advice of public health experts and say, you're wrong and we're right because we want less restrictions right now? Now, there's two things I'd say on that. One, I don't think I am uh, more qualified to make these uh, judgments and give this a, that kind of advice than people who have spent their lives studying it, living it, um, traveling the world to see real world case studies. Um, and nor do I think that any of the opposition politicians pretending they know better, uh, I don't think they know better either. Um, but I think it's important that we continue to make progress and we will only make that progress is if that trend is solidified if we can demonstrate that over a longer period than the last two weeks there's no getting away from how fragile these numbers are when you look at the stats of how quickly acceleration or deceleration can happen it can happen in a matter of days let alone weeks so we have to make sure we're in a solid position so that we can take our progress and build on it because it's in all our interest, not just to get immediately to, to tier two, although I'm obviously hoping that that happens as quickly as possible, but so that we can build on that progress, sustain it and get to a position that is much, much closer to normal life as, as we remember it. One of the Conservative councillors tweeted earlier on in the week to say that council employees knew about uh, the level status that we were moving to and was privy to information, but that the councillors were not privy to that information. So is is that is he right or is he wrong? So nobody was privy to that information until the Cabinet uh, decided it the day before the First Minister announced it in Parliament. Um, but there were obviously discussions going on um, through COSLA and the leaders' meeting on Monday, 
um, and other discussions going on at officer level about what to expect from those numbers. Now, that those discussions are going on daily, and it's quite right that they go on daily. There has to be a two-way uh, flow of communication between the council and government about all the issues at play, about how we make sure government policy reflects our needs in Edinburgh, and how we make sure uh, we can relay information uh, to the government and, and crucially get information about the direction of travel for them as well. Uh, but if you know Conservatives are trying to spin some kind of conspiracy, um, I think it's time for them to take the tinfoil hat off, start listening to the public health experts and start actually engaging constructively. Because the most important thing here is that the entire city follows uh, the guidance that's, that's issued, the advice that's issued. It's important that we all recognise the position we're in and the fragility of that position. We're now seeing huge swathes of lockdown happening in France and Germany and other countries right across the world. Uh, this is not a malicious decision to try and keep um, alcohol flowing uh, in businesses right now. This is a conscious, cautious decision to make sure that people in our communities are safe um, and, crucially, that we continue to make progress so that our businesses and our community-based services can open up on a more long-term, sustainable footing uh, than they've been able to do for the last seven months. So, so on, on that and on the, the way that the council um, is working just now, um, you know, what, uh, what position is the council in with regard to finance? Do you have as much money as you need to fund everything? Is it, uh, is it now the magic money tree from Holyrood? We, we certainly do need more financial support. Um, there have been a number of actions taken which are reported, I think, monthly um, to our Financial Resources Committee to make sure that, one, there's public oversight and democratic scrutiny of that information and those actions, but, two, that everyone understands the situation that we're in. This has been uh, hugely impactful in terms of the budget that we set uh, just in February. Um, and uh, we will need, I think, more money, particularly actually for next financial year. When we look at um, the UK and Scottish budgets, I think we will need more support to try and deal effectively with these issues and continue to build on the progress that we need to make uh, for our city and the investments that we need to make in our communities to help uh, tackle poverty and drive down carbon emissions. So um, I, I think we will need that financial support and um, discussions are ongoing. Now, if I if I can make a, a similar point to what I would have made last year, the UK government's change in relation to the budget to date it is causing real issues. Uh, real issues with the Scottish government being able to plan their budget and that's having a huge knock-on effect to local authorities and how we can plan our budget. There's basic assumptions that we need to be addressed before we set a final budget and the UK government's kind of callous disregard for anybody else's timescales uh, other than the ones that they want to invent are really having a, a massive detrimental impact. So we do need additional resource, but we also need certainty about what that resource is. And a lot of that is about timeline. And a lot of that, in fact, all of that is virtually in the gift of the, the UK Chancellor. And unfortunately, uh, they've saw fit for the second year in a row to play havoc with that timeline with huge negative uh, on effects. So, so the, the council sets its budget in 
February for the forthcoming uh, financial year, which starts in the beginning of April. And last year, however, was that not different because of the general election in December 2019? That that was certainly the excuse given. Um, I'm not entirely sure that was hugely credible, but that was certainly one of the excuses given for the timescale. It's worth saying the timing of that election was also entirely down to the UK Prime Minister, um, and other decisions which obviously were not thought through in terms of their, their impact. So we may be in a similar position yet again where we're having to set a budget without the full facts of um, our funding settlement and other factors that are relevant, obviously, from a UK government perspective as well. There will be elements of our budget calculation that are entirely dependent on decisions, not just of the Scottish government setting the budget, but obviously the UK government setting um, policy as well position, but as I as I say, this has been hugely impactful on our budgets, on everybody's budgets right across the board, whether it's business, uh, government, or local authority, or, or really any organisation. Um, and everybody, including councils, need that certainty and, and assurance. Must be quite a difficult job to be Kate Forbes just at the minute, I think. Uh, and all this money eventually will have to be paid back. We're not, uh, none of us are sure really where that will come from, but that's not really the, the issue at the moment. The issue is making sure that uh, all your various services from collecting bins to looking after people who are at home and need social care, that all that is is, is funded. I have a couple of other questions for you, Adam, um, which I didn't alert you to before. Um, one of them is um, about the taxi trade in the city. And there is, of course, a regulatory committee coming up on Monday and they've shared with me their deputation, which they will present to the meeting. Now, the taxi trade um, obviously has been affected by co- the coronavirus uh, pandemic, you know, much more than anyone else, perhaps, because there simply is no business there at all. But what they've said is that there is a ring-fenced fund of £1.1 million, and they are wondering why that can't be used to support them meantime. So it's it's really worth saying that there has been direct action and support in terms of deferral um, from uh, those resources already. It's worth saying those funds from um, revenues like taxi licences are relatively contained within the council budget. So the, the attempt certainly... Um, in the last council budget in February was to make sure that those revenues are, are pretty much uh, contained within the, the cost base of that service. There has been a, a deferral earlier in the year, started in, um, I think, March, to make sure that uh, that support was uh, there. Now, obviously, this has went on for a very, very long time, but it's very difficult for us to be in a position to fund some of the regulatory aspects of those services without that revenue. But Um, I think there will be additional targeted support. And I know one of the things that the industry has talked about most, um, or talked about certainly a lot uh, in recent times, is around the demands of um, vehicle emissions and vehicle upgrading. And I think that's an area where we can show uh, flexibility to make sure that obviously we're not putting um, undue pressure on the industry at a time where it's incredibly 
in an incredibly sensitive position. So I think there is certainly ways we can help support uh, the industry and, and drivers to make sure that they are coming out of this just like obviously every industry in the city is. The problem with uh, taxi drivers is many of them are self-employed and whilst they get the self-employment grant isn't paid until way after you really need it. And also um, the new £40 million fund from the Scottish Government is based on having business premises in much the same way as uh, many of the grants at the beginning of this from UK government were, were based on rateable values and things like that. So, so none of that helps them. And um, you know, whilst they support the need for vehicles with um, le- lower emissions, um, certainly it would be seen as a step in the right direction if you would ease any of the regulations on them. Um, but having deferred payment of the licenses earlier on in the year, they are now being recovered again. And these are people who, one of the taxi drivers I was speaking to, earned £51 over the period from last Thursday till Sunday night. So um, after paying for you know, the rent of a taxi, etc. So not much money going about. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Adam, was uh, the rather um, sensitive matter of the whistleblowing inquiries and the um, admission yesterday by the chief executive that it is probable that this will cost more than, I think it's £600,000, which has been, uh, which was assessed as probably necessary for these inquiries. Is that right? I think it is probably about right, although obviously it would be, um, I think, a little bit premature to speculate as to what that final cost is. But as a ballpark, I think that that will be right. I think it's important um, that we maintain confidence in the the systems that we have as a council to bring things to the fore. Um, People, we have an absolutely, I think, exemplar um, whistleblowing service and I would encourage anyone with information that is relevant to uh, to anything to help us improve how we run our council, how we run our city, to use that whistleblowing service if appropriate. If, if information has been taken to line managers or heads of service and directors and, and not acted upon, then obviously it's really important that that is, uh, that is done because that gives us the ability to resolve issues, solve issues, and make sure that our council is delivering the best possible services that it can people of Edinburgh. And part of that equation is ensuring that there is confidence in those systems um, so that people use them. And it's it's hugely important, I think, that one, we instill that confidence, and two, where are there are issues that haven't been fully addressed. Um, that's why um, we've started this um, inquiry. It will be independently led We'll be having interviews next week with people uh, to to take that on, um, external from the council to make sure that everybody has confidence in the conclusions of it and then everyone can have confidence in the systems we have because these systems are absolutely crucial for the sustained improvement of our organisation. Yep. Andrew Kerr, the chief executive, said that about three weeks ago now, I think, or I've, I've lost track of time, uh, that a chair, an independent chair would be appointed quite quickly and probably before the last council meeting. That certainly hasn't happened, but I presume that that um, simply reflects that you are being very careful about who is chosen. Uh, yes, it's, it's to make sure that we get the right person and um, I'm quite confident in a matter of... Um, 
hopefully days now that we'll we'll have that and be able to to make an announcement and crucially they'll be able to get to work overseeing the work of the investigator. Good. Finally, I just wanted to ask you, what do your days look like right now? Give us a flavour of what it's like to be um, at the head of the uh, Council of the of Scotland's capital city. These are, are very strange days for, for everyone and they haven't been easy uh, for anyone. It doesn't really matter what um, people's individual status or demographics is. This, this has been a shared experience for everyone and that is not a positive thing. Um, so I spend... The vast majority of, of my day sitting in front of a laptop, either doing Zoom meetings or uh, on phone calls or answering um, emails. And, and there's been a huge number of people who have needed that um, direct support and, and got in touch over the last seven months. Um, I'm not playing a small violin for myself because um, I know that the emails I've had from the conversations I've had with uh, constituents in Leith and, and other people and businesses right across the city that so many people are going through a really tough time and it's incumbent upon all of us really to to double down and try and work as hard as we can for them because I, I don't think we've ever needed those um either the council or or uh, councillors or other democrat elected officials to to work for people more because uh, of the difficulty that they've experienced and um, this has been the most challenging period probably in our city's history um well definitely in our city's history beyond uh, the last world war so it's really incumbent upon all of us to work as hard as we can for the people that need us to work as hard as we can yeah and finally then finally finally um perhaps you'd like to uh, congratulate uh, jim scanlon from leith um on his recent mbe maybe that's a nice way to finish <laughs> absolutely absolutely it's fantastic to see uh, jim's massive contribution to to Leith in particular be uh, be recognised. Um, Jim's not only been community council chair for a very long time and really an absolute stalwart of the community, but but has done some really fantastically interesting stuff, got some involved in some fantastically interesting projects, um, along with Pat Densler uh, working on the Leith Rules golf statue of John Rattray that's in the links now. Um, and just a bit of, of personal trivia, Jim's also a fantastic historian and, um, and took me and, and some friends around Leith to show us the, the Leith that was uh, in the past um, from his role in the Leith Historical Society. So he's someone that really has an incredibly deep and rounded understanding of our community, probably more than anybody else within it. So it's fantastic to see him recognised in the way they have that's terrific. Adam, thank you very much indeed for speaking with us this afternoon. That's Adam McVeigh, the leader of the City of Edinburgh Council. Thank you so much for listening to the Edinburgh Report. Listen out for more episodes coming soon and make sure you don't miss any by hitting the subscribe button now. This is one of the platforms where we can help advertise your business to our listeners. Would you like to know more about that? Then email editor at theedinburghreporter.co.uk. And remember, you can subscribe to have our monthly newspaper delivered to you direct. Sign up today on our website, www.theedinburghreporter.co.uk.